Welcome to another episode of The Fifth Quarter, Conversations Beyond the X's and O's with Layson Perkins and Jeff Osterman. So uh, I know it's been a while. Uh, we have, uh, life's hit us, life's hit us uh, in, in, in a variety of ways here, but we're, we're back and looking forward to continuing these conversations that Jeff and I had, had started during the spring and have some new conversations with coaches as well. So Jeff, uh, it's good to, good to be back uh, in the recording studio. It's been great. Uh, like you mentioned, I mean, we coaches, parents, just regular people, you never know what curve balls and we've gotten hit with some I have and, uh, but it's great to be back. I'm excited. Well, good. And, you know, I think one of the things that we talked about that we wanted to, one of the things that we wanted to focus on, on this particular um, segment was, you know, intention, you know, that uh, oftentimes that, we have intentions that we, you know, we want to follow through with things. I think one of the, one of the stats, I think we were told when we were researching the podcast is that most podcasters quit after about the seventh or eighth podcast. So at least we got 10, uh, 10 uh, podcasts in, but uh, you know, just a, a variety of things occurred in, in each of our lives that caused us to kind of put it on pause and, and just uh, work through those things. And then, um, and, and be able to, you know, say, Hey, look, let's get back to this. We've got some ideas got some maybe some fresh content to bring to everyone and so uh so we're, we're here and um you know jeff I, i'd kind of like to, you know kind of start the conversation with an experience that you and i both had the opportunity to share recently i think it's an experience that neither one of us would have said maybe if you asked us years ago that we would ever have and that's the nba draft and the experiences that you had with it in your position and in my experience as well. So, so Jeff, why don't you start it off with what it was like for you to be a part of the NBA draft experience there at, at Montverde? Yeah, it's it was unique, Lace, and I've been part of you know women's basketball for 25 years. So the NBA draft has always been something just of a diehard Nick fan hoping you know we could resurrect the ghosts, but for for now, what happens, I'm the director of the Booster Club at Montford Academy. And, you know, we've won back-to-back -back national championships. We're up to six in boys basketball. But uh, my first year, uh, I could tell. I loved going to practice with Kevin and just watching his guys work. And, you know, the games were okay. Fans, boosters love it. That's part of the job. But to watch them practice what's really what I enjoyed. And you could just tell they had a team uh, and everyone knew the name Cade Cunningham and they all went to college, you know, for one year. So Cade, Moses, Scotty, and Dayron, um, they all picked different paths. I think in their heart, we all knew the day would come a year, you know, a year later. So, uh, you know, my booster job, we had a big watch party uh, filled with people in purple and gold and uh, everybody knew Cade would go first to the Pistons. Uh, we had a feeling Scotty Barnes would go four or five in that range. Moses, we thought Moses Moody in the top 12, and then Dayron to the end. So for boosters, Lason, this was, we had four first round picks. We had another three in the second round. So this was just one of those evenings that, everyone appreciates because at Montverde Academy, it's uncompromising academics. And, uh, you know, there's so many great things, but this was truly a night of a celebration where 
um, you know, obviously coaches and everybody was in New York, but for us, the fans and boosters, it was just pure excitement. And, and I was going to ask you, because you, you brought up something there about the academics. It, are, are there some, are there some common, I guess, myths or misconceptions about Montverde that they're floating out there? Because I would think that because of the level of athletes that are, that are coming there, that I don't want to say recruiting wars, but there's probably some recruiting wars with the Oak Hills and the IMGs of the world and, and, and some of the other top tier programs in the country. And so are, are there some, here's a chance for you to kind of address them and, and, and talk about it from the, you know, from the Montbird side. I'm sure there are just like in college, there's always recruiting back and forth. I, I can tell you from being here starting year three, academics are uncompromising. Uh, our, on Wednesday, we're in Wednesday dress, which is, you know, gray dress, slacks, black shoes, shirt, tie, and a vest that Cade Cunningham was in it just like J.C. Osterman. And it's it's uncompromising that uh, you're going to fit in with us. You know, it's um, we don't change for you. You're going to change and become part of us. Our biggest recruiting advantage, of course, is Kevin, you know, Kevin Boyle is going to be up in the Naismith Hall of Fame whenever he hangs it up. And he's had, you know, picks upon picks. And Montford, you know, we've had D'Angelo Russell. We've had Ben Simmons, R.J. Barrett. And I think kids and parents realize it's worth the sacrifice. There, there is a funny story when uh, Moses Moody and Cade were roommates. But our rooms are traditional dorm rooms. It's nothing you know, over the top, like a hotel. And, and they would joke that they always had to face the same direction. Either they were going to face the wall or face the window because one morning they woke up and as big as they are, they ended up almost nose to nose. And uh, they ate in the cafeteria, just like our regular kids. And, and that bunch, and I've been on the college side when I've been around some draft picks, uh, but these guys I mean, they were just ordinary, great people. I mean, I think more people loved Kay than I've ever seen because he would walk down the hall if it was a lower school little girl or a middle school boy or someone in one of his science class, and he just had it. He knew how to treat people. Uh, I could tell you booster stories how, you know, we have people that sponsor tournaments and are very kind with their money. Uh, but he would thank them. You know, there was a booster who came out for a photograph and his arm was in a sling. This was after they won the big tournament. And he thanked him for being a booster. And he asked him how he was feeling. Like he just, he doesn't get it. I mean, he doesn't miss a beat with anything. During this tournament, here's a short story. You know, we win the championship. I think it was against Lutheran. And uh, win big, Cade's the MVP, but we had a reserve. He was our valedictorian, a kid named Jesse Jones. I think he came in, hit about four threes. So Cade takes the mic at the biggest moment. They just gave him the big trophy for MVP. And he said, you know what? I'd like to give this to our MVP tonight, Jesse Jones. You know, and the place erupts. And he's just, no moment was too big. And to see the four of them have that moment. It, it was just really, really special. It sounds like it. And, and knowing that, you know, they're in an environment where there's, there are such high standards and, 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 you know, being around Kevin Boyle, what, what would you say is, 
what has allowed him to create, you know, a winning winning championship program in New Jersey, move to Florida, create another championship program? What is what is it that makes Kevin Boyle, you think, tick and, and kind of do what he, you know, do what he does, so to speak? Of course, he has talent, but sure. exactly. I, I think one of the things he does is he takes young men and makes them into men. He really has a great pulse off the court about they all don't come from perfect polished backgrounds, but when they leave, for the most part, they are really wonderful young gentlemen. On the court, uh, again, I think he has buy-in because if you're talking, you know, he coached Kyrie and you're a point guard and you want to learn from the best, that's why you're here. But he puts them in positions to succeed. But, you know, one of the stories about Dayron Sharp, who's 6'11", Carolina, low block player. Um, but I was there this day in practice when he talked to Dayron and he said, you know, the, the time of the big guy just sitting in the paint, the, that's a dinosaur, Dayron. You have to get your footwork better because this league has become a pick and roll, pick and pop, short roll. You've got to be able to get out there and defend. You know, you earn your money in the paint, but people are going to exploit you. And to see a young man really get it and work on it, I think that was special just that one day I watched it. And everything he does is game applicable. He's not wasting time on different things. He's going to drill. He has a great understanding of not only the NBA game, but the European game. And I think, again, he lets players make plays, but he puts them in good spots. Well, imagine when he gives advice to a player like that and, and tells them, you know, that this is the way the game is emerging or it's, you know, it has emerged. Of course, there's instant credibility with, you know, with his, you know, with that track record. Um, so let me ask you this question, because you, you brought up something, you know, there when you're talking about how the game has emerged from, you know, it's emerging into a pick and roll, pick and pop, you know, playing off the short roll, five outs, you know, a lot of different things that, that you and I have discussed. You, you have a group of coaches that are still maybe reluctant to teach those skills at, you know, at the, maybe the high school level. Are they doing their players a disservice by not teaching them that? Because their, their, their thing is, well, you know, we don't play, you know, we don't have the NBA, you know, legal defense here. So I'm, you know, I've got teams that are just going to, you know, pack it in a zone. And so I've got to worry about, you know, being able to play against zone and, you know, teams that are going to sag it in and, and, and you know, things like that. How would you respond in, in that conversation? You know, again, I think everyone's situation is different. I, I don't like to tell people, but I think, again, a disservice. Um, you know, for us, we never had a conference at Montverde. Now we've started the NIBC, which is kind of, the SEC football on steroids. There's six teams, there's two wild spots. So there is a championship, but, and again, Kevin's a little bit different because this is not the end game for his guys. It's college, it's pros, it's Europe. Um, if I'm coaching at a regular high school, I still think it's part of development and player development that I want to teach my guys to do things and to put them in uncomfortable spots to take that five player and force them to defend pick and roll on the wing. Uh, you know, and again, that's teaching the game. That's up to coaches. These days, there's so many opportunities for guys and gals to play 
after high school, after college. But I think the margin is slim. It's getting smaller. And if there's a way for me to help my guys succeed and to separate them, then I want to, you know, show them everything. Like in junior college, I had great talent. I won a lot of games. And I was a man-to-man, you know, push the ball, 40 minutes of hell, the whole thing. But at times... I had to play a matchup zone because I didn't know where my kids were going to end up. So I didn't want them going to a place that played a matchup zone and never have been exposed to it. And I think that's the same thing that Kevin's going to continue to do. He doesn't know where his guys will end up, you know, if they go to Syracuse or if they go to Duke, you know, there's two different systems and styles. And I think again, even though their ultimate level may be the pros, I think he has to get them ready for whatever they're going to see. I think that's a, a great point. I, and I know from my own personal experience that one of the things that made me, it was, you know, it was a pride thing for me is when a coach you know, came in and had worked with a player that I had worked with or a player from our program. And, you know, they're complimenting our staff and going, you know, this young man's learning curve is less than other players because they have a good knowledge of the game. They're, you know, they have a good IQ for the game. And I feel that, you know, a big part of that was our teaching, you know, our teaching process and, and trying to teach them the different terms. And, and again, the way the game's being played right now and teaching them how to watch film. And so, um, you know, I, I, I'm like you, I agree. I think that giving them as much of an advantage, you know, beyond just their skill set that they already have is part of our job. I think so. Um, You know, and again, it could come from the film room. It could come from fundamentals, defensive system. You know, you may be a force baseline. You can explain why we don't let anything in the middle. Or you may go to a college that likes to funnel things towards the middle. You know, let's go to yours, Lason, for a second about Trey and his development. Do you think some of the fingerprints DNA that you had on him as a young kid made the difference from going good to great? Well, I, I hope so. And, and what, what Jeff's talking about is uh, I, I had the opportunity to coach um, Trey Murphy, who uh, was picked by the uh, New Orleans Pelicans um, in the draft. I was his high school coach for two years. And, you know, if, if you're not familiar with Trey's story, when, uh, when I first got to Gary Academy, and I'm watching film uh, of Trey play. You know, Trey's only about 6'1". He is a, a decent shooter, um, had trouble getting to the rim, and didn't play defense. You know, and, and if you hear him speak now, he will tell you that, you know, he has said those things. So I think he's become very self-aware of that. But um, the one thing he had was just this work ethic, and he just wanted to learn and get better. And so, you know, I felt that a big part of my role was to for us to create an environment where he could learn. And I was very fortunate in uh, being able to have, you know, coaches, you know, join us, uh, such as Gibson Piper and Jason Oates, who worked with him as well. And Gibson, you know, I got to give him full credit. You know, he had a big part in Trey's development from just working with him, you know, in terms of just his footwork and and being able to come off screens and as well as uh, being able to teach him how to watch film. And I, I remember one day in practice, um, 
Trace said something about, you know, jokingly said something. I, maybe he was joking. I don't know. Well, you know, hey, could I could I post up this year? This is his senior year. And we're like, no, you know, we're, we're, we're not throwing you in the post. You know, we're going to put you at where you're at your strength, which is shooting the ball. And so, you know, the, that first year, it was a big, the big part was just teaching him how to come off of screens, you know, you know, coming off of down screens, how to play off of flare screens, which, you know, now you look back at Virginia's core blocker mover, it's coming off that down screen and, and coming off those flare screens. But, you know, Trey was also setting the screens and, you know, stepping out a lot for, uh, for Virginia. But, um, but I hope so. I hope if anything, it was just, you know, more than anything, we created, uh, a, you know, we kind of fed his desire to get better. We didn't quit, you know, we didn't kind of uh, shut it off, if that makes sense. No, it does. And and part of what I love about some of these combines and workouts is really the interviews. When I watch guys, and, and that's what it comes down to a lot of times, they're investing millions in the red folder and they want to know everything about it. And I was lucky. I saw an interview with Trey. Obviously, I know your terms. And if I closed my eyes, Lason, he just echoed and said things that I knew came from you guys up there. And and it, it's just such a point of pride. Maybe take us through the draft night, where you watched it, what you did. Yeah. So we we actually were invited. Uh, you know, Trey, you know, Trey was not invited to, you know, to the green room. Um, which was uh, kind of a you know slap in the face, um, you know, which he kind of t- he t- took it personally, and which I think is fed on his performance in summer league. But uh, no, we we were with the family there uh, in Raleigh. Uh, we had a chance to meet Coach Bennett and his staff, and that was an incredible experience. And, and Coach uh, was so nice to my son Jack, and, and just talking to him. And you know, I was talking to Gibson, and I was also talking to. Um, the coach from Rice who recruited um, who recruited Trey there, and we were just kind of looking at each other. Can I'm like, can you believe this that we're actually here in this moment? I'm like, you. I'm like, I've watched it on TV. I've seen these families sitting there waiting for the call, you know, waiting for the announcement to come in, and here I am in a room with Trey and his family, and it's just it, it, it's just an incredible moment, and just you know being able to to be a part of that and see the um, just see the the genuine joy on his face when he got that call and they made that announcement and, you know, the love that he had for his family and just, I mean, just the love he had in general. I mean, you, you, you talked about with Cade earlier, just his character and, you know, how he treated others. It, it, I could say the same thing about Trey. And I think that that's one of the big things in talking to scouts and in talking to the personnel who were doing all their work before the draft that I kept reiterating to them was, hey, look, in terms of character, work ethic, you go ahead and check all that off. That's, that is going to, you know, that's going to be taken care of. And it's true. I mean, you just, everything that you see about them and, and, you know, you, I'm sure that if you went behind the scenes, it's, you know, there's, it's continuous, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be consistent because that's who they are. You know, that, that's what they're about. And so, um, you know, once he got in the summer league, you know, had that, that great first start and then just kind of getting used to the, you know, just the, the rigors and the demands of being a professional athlete now, um, he just continued to, to grow and get better. And, and one of the, I got a text, you know, from one of the scouts saying, we got a gym here, you know, it's like, you know, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's, but it's just, it, I'm just so, I'm proud of, I'm proud of the man he has become. And, and that's the one thing I told him that, that night on draft night, it's not. This yes, obviously this is a huge accomplishment, 
every you know there's so many boys that dream of this but it's the man that you are you've become and the man you're becoming that i think is just what's going to really what's going to drive the, the success for him i mean you touched on it and i think yes we all take pride in watching somebody come off the screen properly or throwing your hands up when there's a poor defensive rotation but ultimately you're just so happy for the person he's becoming to watching it develop and you know on the inside just knowing he's he's worked hard and life's not fair we all know that but it's great when good things happen to good people and, and the Trey story is one of them or or Cade but Lason let's touch about there's a lot of, you mentioned that there's a lot of people that have this dream about going pro and draft night sometimes is reality. They didn't pull their name out of the combine. They were going to stick it out. They got bad advice from a handler from somebody, but there's also, you know, as great as Trey's parents were with him, there's a lot of parents that make sacrifices that financial time, all of those commitments but there's a lot of broken dreams on draft night too, isn't there? Absolutely. And, and I mean, look, I mean, it, we're being honest here. I mean, if, if Trey doesn't go from six, one to six, nine, you know, in, in a, about a three year stretch, we're not having this conversation. I mean, there's, I mean, there, there's obviously physical factors that, that go into, you know, a player getting to the league. Now, I forget what the average height is now of the, of an NBA player, but I mean, if you're, you know, if you're below, if you're below that average, chances are you're not getting in the league. And, and yes, it's you know, like you said, it's either it could be an injury. I mean, I know of a situation of a, of a young man that you know uh, here from the area that was playing, actually playing for a national team. Uh, he has dual citizenship. He was playing for a national team. He was playing in a, a game and uh, comes down late in the game on a rebound, tears his knee up. And now he's out. You know, he's been out for almost a year now. And he was trying to work his way back into a, an opportunity to maybe get a free agent look with the team. And so, you know, between that, between just poor decisions, you know, both on and off the floor, that's going to, that's going to help, that's going to hurt. I, I think you have to be prepared for the reality that this may not happen. And if so, what is the next step? What do you, you know, what do you do from there? And, and almost in some ways, you know, with, because you and I have both had players who, have maybe they didn't make it to the NBA. So now they look to go play or the WNBA. So now they look to go play overseas. So now they start this odyssey of traveling around the world and, and, and trying to either get on with the team somewhere. And at what point, you know, does that person say, you know what, I, I, I'm done. You know, it's, it's time for me now to, to maybe hang this up and do something else. And, and that's that's a tough decision. I, I, you know, that's that's got to be a very grueling thing for a young man or a young lady to have to decide. And and you know, and especially if if it's decisions made for them because of a, you know, because of an injury or because of something that was totally out of their control. You know, more than anything, it is. It's hard for grownups to have a backup plan. You know, so young people, uh, and you can almost see it when you go to an AAU tournament, you see certain parents that are living through their child. Like you want, especially young, young kids, you want them to enjoy the experience, have fun. You know, all the things we talk about, the benefit of athletics and winning and losing and all of those things. And then you always see a couple parents that you just know in the back of your mind, 
they're banking on their child, you know, being a millionaire so they can retire. And it's, it's hard because sometimes they don't have the reality, you know, and the obvious backup plan is education. Like, let's make sure you have an education. Let's surround yourself with good people. It's, you know, kind of the circle of trust. You have to have people that are going to be very, very honest. And, you know, Trey gets it from his family to you guys at the high school level, obviously with coach Bennett and his whole experience, he's gotten, yes, there's luck involved, you know, the growth spurt, of course, but he's Mm -hmm. also has people around him that are honest and I'm sure you, and this is going to be my next question, but you have to have people that are honest that tell you, you know, your shot's not good or you don't go left. What skill, Lason, do you think with Trey he really had to work on that you saw a major flaw? Again, he changed positions. But what skill do you think at the high school level, if we were to look at tape or practice back then, that you guys really worked with him that he had to improve quickly? Well, I I think from an offensive standpoint, it was his ability to get it to come off screens. That was the the big thing because you know I, you know I felt that if he goes to the next level you know being able to come off of a floppy or play off of a flare or be able to play off of a ball screen was going to be essential. But the other thing, which was a big impetus for him going to Virginia, was that he didn't play defense. <laughs> I mean, he did not play defense at all at, at high school, and uh, it was just it was not a mindset for him. He was a scorer. He was a shooter and a scorer, and so defense wasn't important to him. It, but it was a conversation that. At some point, you know, his dad, his dad was making, you know, we were making as coaches, and at some point it clicked. And so that's where I think that, and this is a good point, I think, for coaches to consider is that sometimes the words that we're saying may not have an impact immediately, but at some point, those seeds have been planted and they're gonna they're gonna come up. You know, they're they're gonna sprout and come up at some point when that when that individual player is ready, when they're motivated, when they've made the decision, okay, in order for me to get to this next level, I've got to do this. You know, everybody's saying I need to do this. Well, then I, I better make up my mind and just go ahead and do it. And, I, and it's not coerced. It's, you know, okay, I, I now it's like, you know, everybody talks about what a sopper he is and, you know, how he, that's what's going to keep him on the floor. And he realizes that. He's saying that now. And it's not just sound bites. It's something that he really believes. I think that's a huge difference. It is. And we've all had the player that is on the other side that, doesn't want to hear that message. And and it's funny, you know, that is one of the things they talked about, Trey, and his ability to defend multiple positions. And, and, you know, again, how would you explain to a coach, what advice would you give them when you're trying to explain to your player, star player, about what they don't do well, and you know, they're not listening, either because their AAU coach is telling them how great they are. The parent is telling them how wonderful they are. What advice would you give a high school coach pointing out a weakness that the player doesn't really want to listen? The, the only, the one thing I could think of is that if you, if you find out and you know what, who that player kind of idolizes or kind of tries to emulate their game, the, the game of like Trey was a loves Kobe. Che was a Kobe guy. So I would get him everything I could about Kobe, you know, books, pocket interviews when, you know, when, when Kobe was alive that he did, you know, an opportunity to actually talk to Kobe's trainer. 
uh, you know, before the draft, I, I was able to kind of set that up with him, you know, having to talk. But I think that if you can get your message across in a multiple of avenues, but for, and with multiple sources, at some point, one of those, I feel like will hopefully click with them, especially if it's related to their favorite player. Because now, you know, if you're, if you're saying, oh, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a LeBron guy and you're, you know, and LeBron's talking about how it's important for him to share the ball with his teammates and, you know, something along those lines. And, but you want to be like that, then you've got to be consistent with that. And so I just feel like that's, to me, that's been the approach. Have you found something different or is there something that you've done that that's maybe worked as well? I think part of the problem is when they're getting recruited, no college coach is going to tell him, yeah, Trey, I don't think your left hand's very good. They'll tell him that after signing day, you know, so that doesn't always help. I'm a big believer of, you know, coaches accuse the film convicts of putting together short snippets, not showing it maybe in front of the team, sending it to him on his iPhone and say, hey, here's 10 clips. You know, one of my big things was when people would say they were running hard and I would count their steps to run the court, you know, and if we were running up backs, you have big stride, a wonderful gait, but in the game and you're taking 14 steps to get to half court, you know, so those are some of the things that I would try to point it out, but I wouldn't just show the negative of 14 short steps trying to run. I would then counter it with, look at this play where you really sprinted. So I think the use of film, but being careful on when and how you show it. And hopefully it's almost like fishing. You hope they take the bite of it and they love it. And then they want more. And then they're like, you know, coach, can we watch some more tape and and show strengths and weaknesses. And and again, with kids' egos, there there has to be positive. I don't think it can be all negative. But uh, was Trey a tape guy? He became one. And, and that's that's something that in, in, in giving full credit to Gibson Piper. Gibson was the one that introduced him to watching film. And one of the scouts, when we had our conversation about him, said, hey, we, you know, the Virginia guys talk about how much he loves watching tape. You know, he, you know, and they, you know, they credited us, you know, and, and I'm giving credit to Gibson because he was the one that would put those put those clips together. And, and, you know, they would watch film together and we would watch as a team. And I think what you just said there about the balance. And I think that it's important that, you know, you address the stuff that you want to correct. But that at the end, you're showing those positive plays because the last thing they see, the last thing they remember is the positive stuff. And so, you know, you want it's almost like you want to psychologically leave them with that positive vibe of, okay, here's what we're doing well. You know, now let's just, you know, now let's focus on that one little thing. You know, like I said, maybe today it's just making sure that the footwork's coming correct off the screen or it's okay, you know, making sure that my body's in the proper position on, you know, on this, you know, this particular sequence. But, uh, but yeah, just a, a, just an amazing time. So excited to, to see him once the, the season starts and, and, and being able to just, again, continue to watch his, his growth and, and, and watch his maturity. So, uh, so, so speaking of something that you just mentioned, that transition, something that I've been thinking about re- recently, and this is from a book called Undisruptible that has really had a huge impact on my thinking um, in, the, in the last couple of weeks, is that we live in, a, we, we, we live in constant change. We're, we're undergoing 
constant change. And, and for coaches, you know, sometimes that change means that I'm leaving the, the coaching world and going into a new world of private business or, you know, public teaching or maybe, you know, being an entrepreneur and making that transition sometimes can be a little bit challenging and, and a little bit of, you know, of a test for folks. And so one of the ideas that we've come up with and, and that we want to start um, having some conversations around is something basically that we've kind of called the crossover, you know, for coaches who have made that crossover from coaching into uh, private sector or, or entrepreneur or self-employed or whatever it is, and, and talk about what has worked, what are some of the challenges that they faced, as well as, you know, some of the lessons that they've learned and maybe things that they learned from coaching that they've been able to carry over into um, in, into their new line of work. And I mean, and Jeff, you and I are both kind of testaments of that because, you know, we, we're both, you know, although I coach, you know, I basically coach part-time, but I work full-time at something else. You know, you're now full-time at, at Montverde in, in terms of working with, uh, you know, working with alumni. So what what have been your thoughts on, on that transition and, and, and kind of being, having a skill set and a mindset where you cannot be disrupted? I think the biggest thing is when you make that decision to go and you look at an application and you're thinking, well, I've really only coached for 25 years. I've got all Americans. I've got draft picks. I've got, you know, coach of the year, this and that, but this job application doesn't ask for any of that. So how am I going to apply? Cause I don't know if I'm qualified, I think, or I know that I'll be good at the job, but then you really start to think, you know, is it a management position? Well, you've managed a staff, you've managed young people, you've egos, you've done a lot of management training. One of the things now in my position is fundraising. Well, in my early coaching, I had to fundraise if we wanted sneakers to go to feed the kids or things like that. There are so many coaching things that we go through, you know, public speaking, you're dealing with TV, radio, podcast, whatever it is. As soon as the game's over, you're making decisions. Coaching, you're making a decision, sub, not sub, man, zone. And I think if you take a step back and you take a breath, look at any job application, there's so many things that we as coaches can apply, you know, budgeting, you know, We've all been at places where the budget isn't great. You have to figure things out. If it's public relations, you're dealing with newspapers and media. You're dealing with boosters, alumni. And there's so many different things. But again, part of it is the unknown. It's, you know, the ball's not bouncing in October. You're not teaching footwork and pivots and things like that. But I think, like coaches, we all come up with a game plan. And then you have to be able to pivot. And you kind of make things work. You know, it's funny. I, I made a list of some terms the other day that, you know, just in looking at different job, you know, job listings, you know, they talk about hiring and firing. Well, you know, in our world, in the basketball world, we call that tryouts, you know, because in essence, you know, we're, we're selecting a team, you know, promoting people. Well, I mean, that's basically what playing time is. You know, in essence, we're, we're promoting players by giving them playing time. You know, performance reviews, that's that's ongoing, but you know, our our post game and our film time, that's we're reviewing, you know, the performance of that day. And, you know, 
think about data anal analytics, that's statistics. And of course now, you know, it's, we've emerged into a, a world of analytics, but you know, it's, it's a, a refrain that I remember, you know, talking to someone who was a CEO of a business one time. And she said, look, you know, we're, we're in the same business. We're working with people. The only, the only difference is the scoreboard. You know, the only difference is the, how we measure success. You know, we have a public scoreboard that everyone gets to see in business, especially, if, well, if you're a private business, you know, people don't see the scoreboard, you know, other than is your business still open and operating? You know, if you're a public company, then it's your, you know, it's the value of your shares and, and you know, and what, what the Wall Street and the analysts are saying. So um, a lot. And um, I mean, I guess really, I would say that, you know, when you're talking about sales, what bigger sales do you do when you're sitting in front of a recruit? And you've been in that and you've been in that seat several times. It is. I mean, recruiting to me is sales and you accentuate the positives. If it's a great education department, you don't stress maybe the dorms that aren't up to par with everybody else, but you are really selling you soft sell. And then when they come on their official visit for 48 hours, it's a little bit of a hard sell. These are the things. Take a walk, you know, of what your future is going to be like. But recruiting is sales, you know, and that's one of the things I found the easiest and still one of the most enjoyable parts of my current job is I get to deal with people. And I you have to read the situation, but you can always bring up certain subjects that are going to make people feel comfortable. You know, you can ask them about family, where you're from or travel or cooking. And all of a sudden you find that common level. You remember it. You, Whenever you see them the next time, you can bring up certain things, but it's really connecting with people, you know, and at my job, it's boosters that love Montverde Academy sports. But in any job, it, I think it comes down to people in sales. Well, I, I know personally, I'm really excited to explore this, and I, and I think it's, I think it's a, a very timely conversation. I think it's a huge conversation, a very relevant conversation for a lot of people that we know, and and for others. And and one of the one of the big things that this book has talked about, and, and coaches, I highly recommend that you get this book because one of the things it talked about was having skill sets before you need them. That, you know, and with the rate of change that's going on in our world, is that it's too, and we've talked, we talk about this with our players. It's like talking about, you know, being ready, you know, coach Eastman talking about be there before you get there. You've already got to have the work done and have those skills ready before you get on the floor because you never know when that opportunity is going to happen. And so already having, you know, kind of a, a business or, a, a, you know, entrepreneurial mindset now in a way, you know, before that situation occurs. So that way, you know, your, your learning curve and your transition, maybe it's not as, as, um, not as difficult, but you know, again, it's a good, it's a challenge for everybody. It's been a challenge for both of us, but again, we're as coaches, we're resilient. We know how to make adjustments on the fly. It's just a part of our nature. We know how to build cultures, you know, a lot of things that we can bring uh, into a work or into a, you know, into a work environment that we've learned as coaches. So, so I, I really encourage you to, to, to join us and be a part of those conversations. So, so Jeff, we're, we're recording this on a Sunday next weekend is, um, is Labor Day weekend uh, big plans? I know. Pers I know for me next Saturday night, I will be in front of a TV watching my Tigers against uh, UCLA, and uh, we'll be at the, the the Perkins family will be at the beach. How about the Ostermans? What well, What are your plans? 
Well, our plans start on Thursday because the Tennessee Vols, who I've adopted as my football team, I bleed Coach K in basketball, but my Tennessee Vols, um, it could be a long year, but we've hired a great coach, an even better AD from right down the road here at UCF. And uh, Bowling Green hopefully gets a dose of reality Thursday night. And uh, and I watched a few football games this weekend off and on. I saw some UCLA. I watched a little of Illinois, Nebraska. And that seat for Scott Frost at Nebraska, it was warm, but it is, it's on fire right now. Absolutely. And it is, it's the best time of year. And, and it's fun just, I mean, we're both SEC fans and we can, have fun because there's no weekends off, but it's a, it's a great time of year, and uh, I can't wait. Well, speaking of watching stuff, have you start have have and I I forget if I've asked you this already. If I if I have, please forgive me. But are you a Ted Lasso fan? Because I have become a huge Ted Lasso fan, uh, and I'm I know I'm late to the party on this, but I, I finally got on the bandwagon and I'm loving it. There's one person behind you, and that would be me. I have a bunch of shows and I have the ability to binge them and I can't wait to start Ted. I finished a few others. Um, you know, it, it's right there. And from, I talked to everybody, everyone loves it. There's some great lines that I've heard. And uh, so hopefully in the near future, my problem is now it's college football, it's NFL, but how many seasons are they up to? They're in season two right now, um, and so uh, it's uh, like I said, just some interesting, great, great writing, great storylines, great you know humor. Uh, I, again, I think any coach who watches it is is loving it just because of the uh, of, of Ted and, and who he is and, and everything. But uh, yeah, you're right. It's now SEC football time, and or it's college football time. But I know, again, I know for us, our love for SEC football and uh, just. Uh, I don't know if, if you had a chance to watch the, the the SEC history that I sent you, but I mean, just watching that just re just reaffirms how much I love it and how much it just how much it means in our family. You know, just the the tradition and the history of you know for us being from Louisiana, you know, my wife going to LSU, uh, me you know wanting to go to LSU but didn't get a chance, and then having to being able to go to our first game and and, and you know the year that they won the championship, and my son happened to getting a nice little gift from a from a quarterback where that wears number nine or wore number nine that year. Just, uh, just incredible. No, it's, and especially I missed out growing up in the Northeast football. Was it as big as far as in person Penn state was big. I'd go there. West point was close. Amazing Saturday tradition that I would tell people that should be on your bucket list of a Saturday at West point. It's, it's an experience. And uh, but I'm happy that I'm an SEC fan. Uh, when I had to pick a team, I didn't go with Alabama or LSU. I picked a good, not great, uh, Tennessee Vols. And uh, I'm going to get out there soon and you know dress up, go orange and white, and the checkerboard. And I can't wait. It's it's just so much fun being with friends and rivals, especially because I'm in. Gator Nation down here, so it's exactly. uh, it's the best time of year. Um, but you also had a tradition that was being able to enjoy the Yankees, and so you know you've that you know so so at least you have an understanding of what that fanatical loyalty can be like. It is, yeah, and that's it. I, 
you know, as a Yankee fan, good, bad, other, all the New York sports, I live and die with them, sometimes dying, but this, the <laughs> Yankees have made me proud. And, um, but no, I promise you, uh, Yellowstone is my number one favorite show right now, but Ted, okay. Ted is coming. Uh, I'm going to squeeze it in as soon as I can. So maybe I should flip after and, and add Yellowstone because I, I tend to be very late on a lot of stuff. It's like I wait till after a year or so and watch certain ones. And I, I never watch anything like concurrently. Like my, my son is going back now and binge watching all the episodes of The Flash, you know, and, and you know, Susan might go watch certain things. But I'm just, you know, I'm, I know I'm kind of I'm always kind of picky. It tends to be more political stuff like uh, home. You know, Homefront was one of the ones that we we both ended up binge watching that one. But The Crown, you know, is another one. Um, you know, we did get into Cobra Kai as a family. You know, that was a good one. But uh, but yeah, I tend to be kind of late to the game. So maybe I need to maybe I need to get on some bandwagon, you know, right now and start watching something that's really current and and trendy and, and feel like you know I'm a, I'm a part of it. But there's so many good shows. I don't want to invest in a show. That's going to be okay. You know, as a family, we watched Outer Banks. I was all in on that. Yep. Yellow Susan Jack likes that one. Yeah. Yellowstone is my definitely number one current show. And I think the new season drops in November. So uh, you have time. I'll watch Ted and we'll compare notes. Sounds good. Sounds good. So, coaches, thank you so much for joining us on this episode here. And again, be on the lookout for, uh, we've got some. We've got some older content that we've recorded uh, months back that we're going to be releasing here soon, along with some of the newer content um, and some interviews for our crossover uh, editions. So join us for part of that. Please comment on Twitter, you know, and, and give us your thoughts. Again, we're, you know, we're looking for feedback. We, we want to we want to bring value. We want to make sure that we're providing as much value as possible um, when we have these conversations. So thank you for being a part of this and joining us and uh, we'll connect with you soon.